everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Yeah, this is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic for The Wrap. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am I, uh, I write for Slush Film. Yeah. Got a lot of, lot of stuff over there. You sure do. You're very prolific. <laughs> I'm very impressed. Um, and this is the show where you write in and we answer your emails and or letters. Uh, works very, very simply. You can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Or you can send us uh, a piece of physical mail of some kind to our P.O. Box. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And uh, wouldn't you know it, we got a little of that today. Always good to have actual physical mail, and we'll always start with the physical mail. So uh, uh, that rustling you hear is actually our cat Dante. <laughs> uh, he's got a box, and the box has a newspaper in it. He did not get any mail, and I think he's upset. Dante, did you not get any mail, buddy? Oh, he's so cute. Okay, Dante's very cute. Now you have the full update as to what's going on in the apartment, and we can move on. Whitney, open our letter. All right, I'm gonna, I, and I, I'm gonna open it right next to the mic so you can hear the uh, the, the paper ripping. Is it AMSR, ASMR, ASMR, ASMR? Yeah. And we got a little letter. Ooh, Ooh it's uh, it's got highlighting on. It's nice typed. Uh, this comes from uh, Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Yeah, there's no name at the bottom of a letter. This goes for email, too. I, I'll just say it's from Name Redacted. Mm-hmm. But this one comes from Anthony. So thank you, Anthony, for writing this uh, nice letter. Very nice. And it is addressed to uh, Dear Film Mentats. Nice. We are Mentats. We have the uh, the, the Imperial Mark. Um, I'm writing again to give an update on the previous letter I sent you about the one movie I saw as a grade schooler in the early 2000s where kids befriend a humanoid crocodile. Oh, Yeah. <clears throat> It was Showtime's 1996 film, The Legend of Gator Face. Okay, we were right. Okay, uh, I cool. couldn't find it on Prime Video, HBO Max, or Showtime. I checked on YouTube. The only versions were in Russian and dubbed in Spanish. Mm. So uh, the, <laughs> the place I never thought it, w- uh, it was going to be was where it was, Tubi. Yes! Tubi! Oh, Tubi! Tubi, you old, reliable fox. <laughs> Sadly, um, you actually are owned by Fox, but that's... that's they're, they're owned by Fox but, News. But by but, God, uh, they have a good selection. <laughs> all the missing fragments from long ago came together as one big happy puzzle piece, but after watching this movie as a spry adult of 30, holy bananas, it's terribly outdated, <laughs> and I totally forgot that Gatorface gets capped, and by the power <laughs> and by the power of Mother Nature gets resurrected. Ooh. Uh, it's a big day for Gatorface. Okay, I'm glad I was able to see this again. Thank you for helping track this film down, you guys rock. I do, of course, have a question. Apologize mm. if this takes up too much podcasting time. Oh, pish. Please um, uh, Number one. Uh, there were a few canned Toho Godzilla films over the years. Uh, if you had a few to put uh, two of them into production, what would you choose? Mm. Uh, so here's a, and here's a list of some of the ones oh, that were available. Because yeah, I'm not familiar off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, Bride of Godzilla. Okay. 1956. Nice. So early on. Uh, where Godzilla gets a robot girlfriend, nice. which is secretly a hydrogen bomb. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Learning lessons from Bugs Bunny, it seems. That's, uh, that's early on, too. That's a bit like the second or third movie at that point. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Okay. Uh, made by a mad scientist uh, from the image of his foster daughter. Oh, so it's like a human-shaped girlfriend. Oh, my God. It's not like a Mechagodzilla. That's hilarious. Uh, through the course of the film, the character discovers Godzilla and Ingiris live within a hollow earth underneath the ocean filled with kaiju and mermaids. Godzilla's girlfriend explodes, killing him and the hollow earth. That's like an itchy and scratchy yeah. cartoon I've seen. 
Where like uh, he marries like a, a, a cat, but the cat's made of explosives. <laughs> like the, the cat is made up, but yeah, they, yeah, they live to be a very old age, and that's yeah, when the bomb blows children up. Children that are made of explosives as well. <laughs> Itchy and scratchy was sick. Uh, 1966, Batman versus Godzilla, Ooh. a collaboration starring Adam West and the human villains. I that that that, that could have worked. I, it's, you gotta remember that when these when we hear about these kinds of projects. Hmm. There are different levels of how far into the process they actually got. Uh-huh. Some of these may have someone wrote a script or a treatment, maybe. Hmm. Uh, a lot of them might have just been an idea that got pitched. And, yeah, and it might not have gone any further than that. But uh, regardless, do they have a, they have a plot description mm-hmm. or is that one to speak that, for itself? That one's, yeah, starring Adam West. I mean, that's... Uh, I'd have paid to see that. I'm not going to lie. This one's just a title. 1973 Godzilla vs. the Megalon Brothers, colon, the Undersea Kingdom's Annihilation Strategy. <laughs> Soul, here's your check. Yeah. Um, Godzilla vs. the Robot Army from somewhere between 85 and 89 later cool. became the film Gunhead. G-U-N-H-E-D. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen the trailer for Gunhead. I've never actually All watched right. it, though. Yeah, it looks cool. Uh, Ghost Godzilla, 1982. Where the Oxygen Destroyer, that's the, the weapon that killed Godzilla, yeah. didn't disintegrate Godzilla, but sent him on an instant time skip where the bones and flesh were destroyed, yet the life energy and consciousness remained traveling into the far future. 1954, Godzilla possesses little Goji, accelerating his growth and forming into a new monstrosity here to fight the Heisei Godzilla. I think um, you made that over unnecessarily complicated. Well, the, if it came out in 1992, that's like in the Heisei era where we had the mini Godzilla already. Sure, no, I get, I understand the premise. I just yeah. feel like you could, you didn't need to make it that complicated. All right. It's like we killed one Godzilla, and now it's ghost is around. Cool. Yeah. Well, the Oxygen Destroyer came back in the last uh, Godzilla Heisei film. Sure. That was called Godzilla vs. Destoroya. Oh, so it's not the the original Godzilla they're talking about. It's like the Godzilla from like the last movie. Well, what it was is, just as Godzilla was uh, mutated from an atomic bomb, the uh, Oxygen Destroyer similarly mutated an animal. And it okay. turned into a, a gigantic, like, oxygen-destroying monster. And they called it Destroyer. Well, I mean, that's... I mean, that was kind of the whole point of the original film, wasn't it? Like... Mm. Aren't we used by using the oxygen destroyer? Are we not also using a weapon of mass destruction? And, yeah, and it was all very uh, can, tragic. Can we really be held be, responsible yeah. for what comes of it? Yeah, so that, that's playing fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, Godzilla versus Gamera. Oh, uh, from two thousand two. That one. Uh, Kadokawa, who owns Gamera at the time, uh, went to Toho pitching Gamera versus Godzilla, but Toho declined. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Gamera is way more popular in Japan than it is over here, by the way. I still, I think Godzilla is still way more popular. Oh, I'm sure he yeah. is. I'm just saying, like, that's actually, like, mm. in America, Gamera is, by the way, Gamera is the uh, Godzilla knockoff who's a giant turtle. He's like a giant, and he stands mm. on his hind legs and he goes, ah. And flies but, around on flames. But and, he's yeah. typically a good guy. I think in the first movie he was kind of a bad guy, but for the most part, he protects Earth from other mm. monsters. And, and, and in particular, uh, always befriends a child at the beginning of the movie Godzilla, and protects them from bad guys. Gamera's friend of children, yeah. yeah. Um, in America, we know the Gamera movies best because they were a lot of them were aired on Mystery Science Theater 3000, which made fun of them mm. for perhaps obvious reasons. Some are much worse than others, but none of them are particularly good, especially 
especially with the English dub. Well, yeah. the ver- again, the versions we saw on Mystery Science Theater yeah. were the edited versions and d- and dubbed. Uh, you can actually yeah. get the original Gamera films, and they're totally fine. Ah, the, 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 one, one, the one in outer space with the donuts. The, the, Dude, the, that's a stupid with, fucking with movie. The, the knife head monster is that, pretty co- pretty that, goofy. That, but, there's, uh, there's no there's no universe in which I, I can respect how weird that movie is. Uh, there's no version of that movie that's like. Wow, really what, makes you what a think. Classic, yeah. Like no, that's that's a that's a weird fucking film by any measure. Yeah, but it's... in any case, my point is this: in Japan, it's unironically popular yeah. with a lot of people. So that's actually like a pretty good Freddy versus Jason pairing over there. Yeah, I think Toho like they didn't want to muck around with why why off. why muddy the brand? You know, yeah. like why 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 give them Godzilla if Gamera isn't going to help us too much? Hmm. That would be like if uh, uh, Morbius said, "Hey." Look, we'll let you have Morbius for your X Men movie. Uh huh. <laughs> That'll make it like, better. Oh sure, yeah. This will. This but, like, does we, so we, much good for we, us. We need. We need Morbius in our X Men movie. Yeah. Um, uh, another one, Nessie, nineteen seventy eight. Oh. Um, not really a Godzilla film, though. Ness, uh, the Nessie monster was part of Godzilla the series, the animated series. Oh yeah. Uh, ally lineup. Nessie, was, of course, is the Loch Ness monster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a collaboration with the British studio Hammer. Mm. Uh, Posters were made to get it two mm. years, uh, but after a while it was axed due to lack of financial backing and Hammer's part. I mean, uh, Hammer was yeah. kind of falling apart by the late 70s. I would have loved to have seen a Hammer horror Loch Ness Monster movie. The, uh, you gave me a book once. It was like Hammer Horror uh, posters. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And just really cool. Oh, do they have that in there? They have a lot of the projects that were pitched but never got made. Oh, so that's cool. Still, I want to see like, that. Um, do you still have that book? I, I do. It's around I want to see that book around. sometime. There's, that's uh, cool. Pterodactyls versus Zeppelins. Like, nice. I think that's oh, even the title nice. of the movie. Yeah, it's like all kinds of cool Oh, it's badass. But yeah, a proper Hammer Horror Loch Ness Monster movie, all atmospheric yeah. with a lot of mist. That would have been fun. That would have been cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, I want to see that. And finally, Shin Godzilla 2 Strikes Back. A visual draft made uh, visual draft made proposed sequel by director Hideki Anno in February 2016. Uh, you saw Shin Godzilla, right? Oh, Shin, yeah. Shin Godzilla's brilliant. We talked about it before. Hey, hey, Dante. Uh, so somebody Dante, pitched- get down off the. Th- Ooh, we have a Dante now. Dante, get down off the table. Um, you bad. Yeah, they've been trying. T- there's not going to be a Shin Godzilla two, as far as we know yet. Like one no. hasn't been put into Didn't production. Did they do like a Shin Ultraman? Or yeah, something? Shin Ultraman yeah. is coming out in the United States uh, later this year, I think. Um, okay. Or maybe maybe you can get it already. But it, yeah. it, it might be available. There's a, there's a yeah. Shin Ultraman as well. I heard from, it's quite from good. the same I director. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was made for people that didn't like the first Shin Godzilla movie. <laughs> Uh, who didn't like the first Shin? That's a great yeah, movie. Great. Uh, I guess if you want monster fights, it doesn't scratch uh, but, the edge. But it's but a great yeah, Godzilla. That's, movie. that's the end of the letter. It says, uh, "Peace, film tats, Anthony." Uh, P.S. I just saw Robot Jocks with my brother, and I loved it. Yay! I hope uh, the upcoming legendary Mobile Suit Gundam movie isn't as cheesy as this. Oh, why not? Why would you not want it to be like Robot Jocks? Uh, it reminded me of the Robot Duel four years ago on the YouTube channel made by Megabots Incorporated. Accommodated, uh, commentated by MMA royalty Mike Goldberg and Sara Nadari with robots Eagle Prime and uh, Suidobashi Heavy Industries Karatas. Uh, those, are, those are words. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with that reference, but fair enough. No. Uh, of those Godzilla movies, of that particular list yeah. of Godzilla movies, which Godzilla movie would you have... If, uh, you, could only, if you could only greenlight one, hmm. which one do you do? Uh, probably Batman. Like really? 66, Adam West How Batman. do you imagine that working? Um... Uh, uh, obviously, there's going to be some sort of device like mm-hmm. the, the Joker's running around, and he's got a yeah. grow ray. 
Okay. And, and oh, so it's literally going to be Batman, the side, like a hundred foot tall Batman. Yeah, absolutely. Fighting Godzilla. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 But do any of the other Batman characters or villains grow that big? Uh, I don't think so. I think it would just have to be Batman and Godzilla to keep it clean. Mm. I see. I think what happens is Batman and Godzilla, they fight, mm. right? But then, like, the Joker or Mr. Freeze or somebody also gets their hands on the grow way, and Batman and Godzilla have to team up at the end. Oh, to fight a 100-foot To fight the Joker. Or some other... Who's the the most formidable hand-to-hand combatant Batman (laughs) fought back in the old 60s show? Well, that's the thing. The villains usually stood aside and let their hench people do the work. Generally speaking, yes, but I think early on, the Joker would get more involved. Oh, here's a more interesting story. Um... And this is something I think they did on Batman, where there's, like, a, a brain-swapping device. Okay, yeah. You put, like, shunt your consciousness into another person's body. I and, did that once, yeah. And, and the Joker puts his brain in Godzilla's body. Ah! Uh, like so it's a Joker-Godzilla. <laughs> but what I love is the jo- is the Godzilla in the Joker's body just be like, Ah! Ah! Yeah, Cesar Romero is down on the ground. He's just, like, kicking stuff over. Yeah. <laughs> Knocking over sandcastles. Yeah, he goes down to the beach and steps on sandcastles. Yeah, I'm going to pick the boring one. I got to pick Godzilla versus Gamera. I think that's... If you make that late enough where, like, there's some actually decent, like... Special effects. Like the 90s visual effects where there's still suits, but they look really good. And they're a little heightened with some extra Mm. animation. Some of those Heisei films look great. They look really good. Like, I I haven't seen most Godzilla movies. That's one of the biggest gaps in my entire cinematic lexicon. I've only seen a handful of Godzilla movies. Mm. Uh, And there's, like, what, like almost, like, three dozen now or something like that? Like, it's a lot. Yeah, it's just... Less than 40, but but yeah, yeah, a lot. It's a lot. It's, It's a big, deep dive. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm familiar with the overall aesthetics, though, and I think a 90s Godzilla versus Gamera would have been pretty tight. Okay. I think that would have been really cool, and it's another one, though, where it's just like, you know Godzilla's gonna win, but I want, (laughs) I want Gamera to get some really good licks in. Uh That's what I want. I want Gamera to, like... Do that, like I want Gamera to like shove himself into Godzilla and then retract into the shell and then fire the rockets and then like shove Godzilla like through a mountain. Mm. Like I want, I want it to be a good fight. Well, I, I think um, I, I want I'm Gamera kind of, to be his most formidable opponent. I'm kind of surprised that it's taken uh, the Marvel comics movies to get to this, but there was a big mm. event in the '80s called Secret Wars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the idea was some uh, puppet master, the so, Beyonder, uh, the Beyonder, yeah, uh, insignificant character. Um, <laughs> the idea was he was an all-powerful guy who could do anything he wanted. Was an all-powerful. Well, he was a plot device. Yeah, and he said, "Hey." I, I just discovered a planet with Marvel comic superheroes on them. It's got hundreds of characters. Yeah. What if I pulled them out into a pocket dimension and had them all fight? Yeah. Because the only conversation that really matters in Marvel comics is, hey, who would win in a fight? Yeah. Um, I, I love, uh, you can find a video of Stan Lee online where uh, he says, the question I get asked most frequently is, who would win in a fight? Yeah. And it's like, let's see, is it, and you, it, and that's Stan Lee. Way. What if I always thought the thing a Spider-Man? You know who wins in a fight between the thing of Spider-Man? Whoever I want. I'm the writer. Yeah. They're fictions. I can figure out who if like, Spider if I want Spider-Man to win, he's gonna win. Like it's fun to Quit think asking about. asking me. Yeah. It's fun to think about, but there is no answer to that because yeah, it's based off of creativity and what mm. the plot needs at that particular moment. Yeah. 
Uh, I listen so to the, it's fun, but like but yeah, it's all, not rare. But those those nerdy conversations, who would win in a fight? Yeah. You know, Wolverine versus Captain America. Meaningless questions, yeah. but Secret Wars just sort of said, what if we just sort of took all the heroes completely out of all of their context? Doesn't matter yeah. where they are in their stories. Yeah. Now they're in a pocket dimension where there's no consequences. Yeah. And it's basically and they just, just two sides. The heroes are on this side. Yeah. The villains are on this side. Or, no, it's on heroes on both sides, isn't it? It's no. like ha- bifurcated superheroes. I think initially it was the heroes versus the villains. Because yeah. it, it was like a 12-issue series. Mm-hmm. And I read a thing once, and I, I'm pretty sure this is true, but I didn't go back to... Somewhere I have those comics in a in a box. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't go back and check, but there is a story that I think got like you know the stamp of like you know Snopes said this is mostly true. Hmm. Uh, the entire like twelve issue run of Secret Wars, there's only like single digit sentences that don't end in an exclamation point. <laughs> like every sentence ends in an yes, exclamation yeah, point. Like you count them on like one hand. But like it's po- it's but just it's so just outlandish and shameless. And it's basically just like what if blank fought blank. Yeah. And yeah, we haven't had an excuse to do that yet. We just invent and that's what like Marvel- they, they don't need to come up with a story yeah. at all. That just uh, the story is they're in a yeah. pocket dimension and they can fight here. One, one of my uh, favorite Marvel comics uh, uh, events they ever did, and no one talks about it anymore, but it's a shame because it was a fun idea and it led some good comics. Uh, was Acts of Vengeance? Do you remember Acts of Vengeance? Uh, was that a Ghost Rider thing? No, it was a, it was a big uh, company wide crossover in like the nineties. Mm. But it wasn't like, you know, it's a big maxi series or anything like that. The idea is very simple. Some mysterious villain. Uh-huh. Surprise, it turns out to be Loki. Some mysterious villain is going around the Marvel Universe, going around to all the villains, and saying, Hey, you fought Spider-Man, what, 500 times? Mm. And you haven't beaten him yet. Spider-Man has your number. What if... In an, instead of trying to kill Spider-Man for the nth time, not learning your lesson, I have you trade places with another villain. You and it's like it's like strangers on a train. Oh, you yeah. swap heroes. Mm-hmm. So basically, you are actually get- much more. You would be much more suited to taking down Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And they're like the what's Spider-Man going to do against the living laser? <laughs> like Iron Man knows how to take that guy down. He'd actually have a chance to kill Spider-Man, and Iron Man has no idea what to do against your skill set, so we just swap, and then we kill all the heroes that way. It's all of these personal grudges that are getting in our way. Mm. All we really want to do is kill all the heroes, right? So let's just switch it up and, like, catch them by surprise. Not a very high concept, but it led to some fun pairings. Uh It was really fun to read, and it was Mm. just an excuse for people to fight people they never fight. It's just, it's fight scenes. Yeah, but it was cool. Uh, it was, it yeah, was unapologetic about what it was. And there you go. I feel like that's a lot of, of it's like 80% of comics is just who would win in a fight. I and, love uh, it, yeah. Uh, that is, you know, mainstream superhero comics. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't, don't start I mean, writing it about the, the variety of the medium. No, uh, there's a lot of variety uh, in the medium, and a lot of superhero comics are about bigger things, but mm. on some level, superhero comics you're going to get a fight and yeah, you're going to want to uh, fight you haven't seen before so in a different way and it's cool. I'm really uh, sort of astonished that they're just sort of giving up and going with Secret Wars as a, a yeah. plot because that's the way you have Gamera and, and Godzilla fight. Yeah. You, you put them in a dimension where they yeah. can just wail on each other, kill them off, and then snap your fingers and everything's back to normal. Basically. That, that's the plot of your movie. Yeah. If all you want is the fight. Um, I appreciate that about uh, Freddy v. Jason. It's like, mm. it's just... Just have them tear into each other. Yeah, it's like where do we, are they going to fight in the dream world or the real world? We'll have both. I, I it's fine. <laughs> I have always appreciated in Freddy versus Jason. Like 
they actually came up with a somewhat complicated reason for them to like exist in the same universe. Well, not and... just exist in the same universe is fine, but for them to interact at all, uh-huh. and it makes sense. It's just it's a little convoluted, but once you get past it, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. And basically, and the fight I've... stuff at the end is it's is, so is a hoot. Yeah, there's like one scene in particular at the end. Which is really problematic dialogue, and it's been clipped on YouTube. Oh, yeah, they, it, they use some slurs. It's, and it's, uh, it, it doesn't need to be there. It kind of is. It just throws a wet blanket on the whole bit mm-hmm. at the end. It was, it was the early two thousands. Like they should have been past. They should have known like, better. Like it's not a great bit, uh, and you know what? That sucks. That unfortunately, that's a shitty part of the movie. The rest of the movie is really fucking fun. Yeah. So that's they knows what you want. How do we get them to have a fight? have an amazing fight and it takes it like the last third of the movie yeah. that's what you want from these things we gotta move on that was uh, a yeah. that, that, you bring up Godzilla we're gonna talk so, <laughs> especially, especially Whitney he loves Godzilla yeah, I've, I've seen all those damn movies yeah. um, here's a letter from Luke hello Luke uh, mm-hmm. and we're back to emails now so yeah. that, that was our only physical letter but yeah send us a letter please um, this one says good evening gentlemen allow me to throw in uh, with what I am sure is an avalanche of comments slash opinions of Cowboy Bebop Ah, yes. So we reviewed Cowboy Bebop on Cancelled Too Soon, the Netflix series. And I I really wanted to hear some extra opinions on it. Mm-hmm. Especially considering that as much as I love the anime series, I didn't have time to rewatch it all. Okay. So I'm very curious what you all have to say. Right. Um, I love Cowboy Bebop, says, uh, says Luke. Cool. Uh, but I also recognize that it as it's a series that is far more style than substance. Uh, and that's fine because it's so stylish and so cool one could drown in it. The only drawback to me is it has always been, uh, it's always kind of benefited from at least a little bit of filling out of Spike's backstory. Not, here's a whole movie about that tiny hole in the Death Star nobody wondered about. <laughs> uh, just a little, like flashbacks that are given for Spike that are really compelling. Instead, we got three, maybe four episodes about Jet running into and helping people out from his past, resulting in basically three episodes telling the exact same story. Yeah, got real bad. The live-action series, you got, as you guys pointed out, just lacked anything of interest a surface level copy of an anime with the occasional flair of inspiration to do something different in a well thought out manner in a lot of cases i would have preferred just an exact copy of episodes than what we got as is most of the social commentary was gone leaving only an action series a prime example uh, being the change in phase backstory sure the mom stuff was cute but originally when she's brought out of cryogenics, uh, one of the first things that happens to her while she's still mentally reorienting is she is given a bill. Yeah. Uh, as she may have been brought out because no one was paying to keep her there. I do not remember for sure. Making her whole backstory a commentary of how cruel privatized healthcare is and debt in general are. That's true. Uh, additionally, I feel uh, I didn't feel Spike was suicidal. In the anime, he's reckless in a way that shows him both wanting to die, but also being too stubborn to die, as though he subconsciously knows that he has some unknown task yet to perform. That is to say nothing about how, as you guys pointed out, him abandoning Julia made no sense in the live-action series, but in the anime series, he thought she was safe in hiding and was scared that if he looked for her, someone would not only find out that she's still alive, but also find her. Okay, see, fair enough. See, I I didn't remember that very clearly. So if that's the case, then that makes more sense in the anime, yeah. All right. It's just kind of amazing that with the expanded runtime of each episode, they could not fill it with anything more imaginative or interesting. It's also crazy how much uh, Mufasa Sha- Mustafa Shakir sounds like Bo Billingsley, Jet's English voice actor. He does. He does sound a lot right. like him. Yeah, it's true. All right. Am I the only one who had to look up if anyone on the production design team also worked on the film Boon Raku? <laughs> 
<laughs> because man, a lot of his visually reminded me of Boon Raku. That's true. Yeah. Uh, on a completely different topic, headcanon. Oh well, actually, let's stop on Boon Raku. Boon Raku is an interesting movie. No one talks about. Uh, nobody talks about this. It, movie. it came and went, and it's a shame because well, it's not a truly great movie. It is one of the most distinctively stylized action movies. Of the last decade or yeah, so. It came out in 2010. Yeah. Uh, this film, Boon Raku. And it, it was, came out sort of during that post-Grindhouse wave mm-hmm. where they were really riffing on, like, yeah. 70s Grindhouse genre stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, it was this big, elaborate, set-in-a-fantasy universe, but it's the modern world, mm-hmm. so everybody's wearing modern clothes, and it's kind of science fictiony, mm-hmm. and they do used a lot of... Uh, Stylish camera angles and silhouettes and colors. A lot of it was modeled uh, after a Japanese puppet theater. Yeah, Bunraku. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just saying, if that's if you run right. familiar with what that is, not everyone is. And so a lot of the action, a lot of these blocking, a lot of the shots are in a very literally handcrafted manner. Mm. Uh, some of them are like okay. even made by pa- but made of paper and stuff. And it's but, a uh, neat looking movie. Damn it's, it! It's a neat looking movie, but uh, you can we point to Boon Raku as the poster child of what it is to make a really stylish movie that's not interesting to watch. Yeah, you can put all the style you want into something. You can spend a lot mm. of money. You can stage it and you know, put it, put together some really elaborate action sequences. Yeah, but it also needs to be a movie right like there needs to be something for an audience to hold on to in terms of uh, character mm-hmm. or story some additional element beyond just the cool fight scene this is where duration becomes a huge mm-hmm. part of uh what you can get away with in a story versus what you can't uh yeah, if you're if, making like a 15 minute short that yeah, stuff's fine if boon rocky was 15 minutes it would be legendary mm-hmm. everyone would be talking about it it'd be amazing but because it has to last over a feature length it can't sustain your interest mm. beyond the occasional moments. Look up some clips of Bunraku. I think you'll be like, ooh, this looks neat. But it works better in clips than it does yeah. as a movie. And I think Cowboy Bebop's the same thing, where basically in a half-hour episode, style over substance, or in this case, I think the example is style is substance, where the whole point is yeah. let's emerge these styles and see what we can get out of it. That can sustain itself for a short period of time. Once you're doing an hour... You're asking people's for people's interest and their attention for a longer sustained period, and you can't get away with as much. You actually yeah. need to do more work. Um, yeah. Boon Raku has a great cast, by the way. Oh, really? Uh, yes, yeah, uh, Josh Hartnett is mm-hmm. the when he was in uh, like an it boy. Uh, Woody Harrelson's in it. Uh, Ron Perlman, Demi Moore, uh, Gact, uh, the the Japanese oh, yeah. superstar. Uh, I think Kevin McKidd is in Kevin that McKidd one. is in I, that. I really one. like Kevin mm-hmm. McKidd in that movie. He's he's having a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, that's, it's, it's, if you're, if you feel like you've seen every action movie, you should check out Boon Raku. Uh, otherwise, at least check out some clips online because it is, it is yeah. kind of neat. Yeah. Um, but the letter continues, yes. uh, as you two occasionally mention, oh God, as you two occasionally mention Baywatch Nights, <clears throat> I have headcanon for that. Uh, Good. Mitch spends all day, nearly every day in the sun running down a beach, uh, from sun up to sundown. Then suddenly he decides to open a PI business that he can operate when he's not on lifeguard duty from sundown to sunup. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's getting one hour of sleep a night. After a few months of that, he starts to go insane. Therefore, when season two starts to involve monsters and ghosts, it's all in his head. It's all nice. hallucinations. With love always, Luke. He's massively overworked. Yeah, Bay- Baywatch had a spinoff series called Baywatch Nights for two seasons uh, in which when... And it wasn't like David Hasselhoff left Baywatch where he played a heroic lifeguard. And, like, he had this spinoff for a while and came back. He did both at the same time. Mm. He had 
two shows in primetime starring the same character doing very different things. And the first season of Baywatch Nights, he's doing typical PI stuff. PI yeah. stuff you know, this guy's stalking me. I'm solving this murder. There's one in which he becomes an honorary member of the Yakuza. All right. You know, like you do. But in the second season, and they never really talk about it, all of a sudden, they're hunting monsters. X Files like was popular. They were desperate for ratings. They just changed the premise entirely. Well, if, if and he never gonna... mentions when he's in Baywatch, like, oh, yeah, we need to have this bikini contest. Uh, but uh, by the way, I learned recently that the afterlife is real and Dagon is a thing. Okay. I would love to see him, like, like completely <laughs> wasted in the signs. Like, yes, bikini contest. Dagon is real. I don't remember it was actually right a Dagon now. episode, but it was like yeah. that. It was like, oh, there's a sea monster and there's <laughs> vampires and ghosts. and They already had ghosts on Baywatch. <laughs> they already established that those were canon. Anyway. Baywatch is wild, man. Baywatch is a fucking... I love Baywatch as a concept. Not because, you know, ah, bodies. Yeah, How pretty, nice to look at. L- lovely people in swimsuits. Like, that's, I can appreciate nice it. to look at. On a purely prairie level, I can totally appreciate it. What I love about Baywatch is it's the simplest premise in the world, and they kept it going for, like, ten seasons because nobody ever told them there was a story they couldn't do. <laughs> there's always, there's, no matter what it is, no matter what you think it is, oh, we're going to do a casino heist. They could do it on Baywatch. They're lifeguards. We'll find a way. Like, that's the beauty of Baywatch. There was no episode they couldn't do. It's always an inlet or a stream or a fjord. <laughs> anyway, moving on. All right. Uh, here's a letter from Richard. Hello. Um, hello Hi, Richard. Richard. Uh, dear Bibbs and Wit, uh, mm-hmm. before I get to my question, I want to take a moment to thank you both for your amazing work and for helping me discover my passion and love for film. Oh, my God. Thank uh, you. Well, thank you. That's very that's sweet. Uh, recognizing it as an art form and as something to be appreciated beyond the idea of movies as content. Hmm. We're, we've tried to stay away from the word content. It's, uh, it's a little demeaning to film, yeah, but I, yeah, thank you so much for saying that. I That's can't great. begin to list all the wonderful movie recommendations that I've gotten from your podcast. Oh, well, thank you. That's um, what, it's what we do, so thank you. We're, uh, glad, we're glad it's worked for somebody. Uh, as for my question, a hmm. few days ago, as of the writing of this letter, the Criterion Collection announced that WALL-E, oh, yeah. uh, the Pixar film, would be joining the collection as the first collaboration between the Criterion Collection and Pixar. While WALL-E wouldn't necessarily be my first choice to make it to the collection, it did get me thinking, what animated movies would you mm. like to see added to the Criterion Collection? Uh, I would like to see uh, the 2012 Don Hertzfeld movie, It's Such a Beautiful Day, mm-hmm. added. I think of another animated film after that, after watching it, uh, had me going outside, sitting in silence, and contemplating my life. It, it's one of the best films of the decade. It's such a wonderful day. Oh, it's, it's absolutely it's incredible. It's such a beautiful day. Is the no, no, I, I think I, I, when I when the decade ended, I did an article at The Wrap where I was asked to like rank the, the hmm. best animated movies of the decade. I'm 90% sure that was my number one. Yeah, it, because it, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, keep up the amazing work. Sincerely, Richard. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, they did announce that Wally is going to be joining the Criterion Collection. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the Criterion Collection, it is a DVD and Blu-ray distribution company. They started with Laserdiscs. Now they do Blu-ray. They also have a wonderful streaming service uh, called the Criterion Channel. There, and there are only seven mm-hmm. animated films in the collection as of with yeah, the addition of Wally. With the addition of Wally, and uh, a lot of them are relatively obscure. Probably the most famous ones are the Fantastic Mr. Fox and Watership Down. Oh, uh, yeah. They, and also Fantastic Planet. Oh, and Fantastic which is, Planet. Yeah, which yeah. is one of my favorites. That, that's a little culty, but it's better known than some of the others, uh, like Journey to the Beginning of Time or the fabulous Baron Munchausen, or mm-hmm. I forget the other one. Um, but yeah, for, uh, Criterion puts out incredibly beautifully restored, often with a lot of special features. 
uh, films that the Criterion Channel considers historically or artistically or culturally significant. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, although I'd be very curious to know what their actual criteria is, I wonder if there's a document out there, uh, they've got really good taste. It's, Generally it's speaking, if it's in the Criterion Collection, it's it's worth seeing. I don't think there's like a checklist. I think yeah. there's probably like a panel of people. There's got to be know. like guidelines though, right? There's probably got to be a general like, this is or is not Criterion. You don't like, think there's, just, you don't think there's some, there's some kind of like overall like question that they ask themselves, like there might be was it like, canceled too soon for us, something like that. Like there, there might be like a, a list of guidelines, but I couldn't tell you what it is. You know, when yeah. they let like there are certain films that I I see them in the theater. It's like that was quite bad, and then it'll show up on the the Criterion yeah. Collection, no matter like the the curious oh, case of Benjamin Button is in the the Criterion that Collection. That f- movie's not good. I feel like well, here, uh, which brings me to my other thing uh, here, which is uh, a I think that one is a matter <laughs> of. Criterion latch themselves onto certain directors, that's and true. they seem that, to be David Fincher films, very yeah. willing to put out those directors' works because they consider them an auteur, even mm-hmm. if they're not all of equal quality. So they put so, out pretty much every Wes Anderson movie, pretty mm-hmm. much every David Fincher movie, eventually. Um, so although not every David Fincher movie, but they, they, put they didn't David do Fincher. Gone Girl. They didn't do Gone no... Girl. I think they put out Fight Club, although I feel like that's only a matter of time. Um, so. But uh, in any case, for whatever reason. They have not put out a lot of animation. Like, they put yeah. out a v- surprisingly small well, amount of animation. When it comes to, uh, like, high-quality animated films, yeah, those are uh, tend to be big moneymakers for their studios, and they're not going to license mm. their stuff out. Uh, it, I'm kind of surprised Pixar mm. let one of their films out. Well, I have a theory about that, and uh, it, but I'll get to it in a second. Let's just, but, you know... The obvious answer would be something like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Mm -hmm. But because Disney is such a highly branded company, Mm -hmm. they're going to be really cautious about who they lend. They're not going to let somebody else distribute their movie. Uh, But they Uh, are, because Wally is still theirs. Wally doesn't... I I suppose so. But but they bought the entire Pixar catalog, and Wally was made when mm -hmm. Disney still owned Pixar. Like, it wasn't like before that that transfer. Um, Here's what I think is going on here. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Disney has decided to go all in on Disney+. Plus. It's working very well for them. Mm. They have put all their movies there, and they're really moving away from DVD and Blu-ray. They're putting out... And theaters. And theaters. But basically, they'll put out, like, the Marvel movies or whatever the big new animated movie is, but they're not putting out a bunch of re-releases of their old stuff on on Blu-ray anymore. Mm. The occasional 4K, maybe, but they're really phased it out. I think that what Criterion does, because they license most of their movies. They don't own most of them. I think Criterion said, hey, you're never going to put Wally on Blu-ray again, are you? What if we did, and we'll have that nice and premature, Wally is one of your best movies, and I think it's one of the best Pixar movies. Uh, What if we put it out, and we put it out nice, and we give you a nice big cut of it, and then it's great for us because... Criterion is still doubling down on physical media. Yeah. They they have not 
slowed down their physical media releases, and I'm glad they haven't. Uh, and every once in a while, in order to make sure that they can still put out smaller films that maybe don't have a big audience, they need to put out a moneymaker. Yeah. They need to put out a movie that's like, oh, shit, that's on Criterion, we gotta get that. Hmm. Like, early on, uh, when Criterion initially moved to DVD, one of its earlier offerings was a two-parter of... Uh, the Rock and Armageddon. Hmm, that, that was just to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of people made fun of that. Like, what? The Rock and Armageddon? Like, there were popular movies. Certainly one could argue, and we've argued it ourselves, that Michael Bay is technically an auteur. God knows he has a stamp well, that not, he puts on his work. Not technically, he simply is. Yeah, but, yeah. So, but clearly, those movies might not have the artistic impact of something like Breathless or, right. <laughs> or Rashomon. But they are significant for their time, and they're going to move discs. And just like any other 10-pole system, you put out Wally, enough people buy Wally, they can afford to do more stuff. I, it would not shock me to see in the future Criterion putting out, maybe not a lot, but more Disney stuff. Just because Disney doesn't give a shit about DVD yeah, anymore. That's true. Um, I just think they don't. It's going to be probably yeah, uncommon, if- but it wouldn't be surprising if we see a couple a year. Uh, possible, yeah. And and as far as like Disney animated films, mm-hmm. yeah, Snow White would be sure. the, the choice I would go for. But uh, uh, Sleeping well, Beauty, would be I, right I, up there I, for I do me, love yeah. Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Um, as for films that I think are a little bit more, uh, mm. how you say, Criterion inflected, yeah, the, the ones that sort of a little bit would, more art house inclined, yeah, would like yeah. match the, the kinds of films that they kind of put out. Um, I would choose Waking Life, the Richard Linklater movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely sure. great movie. Yeah, uh, maybe a bit of an odd choice, but heavy metal. Uh, no, sort, I think sort so. Of, sort of a cult, I think, cult movie. I think that's uh, definitely culturally significant mm. for its time. It was yeah. yeah, there. Yeah, I would love to see some of the works of Ralph Bakshi. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Fritz the Cat feels obvious just because again socially significant. Mm. But I would I would say the Wizards or just Wizards. I just think it's just Wizards. Called. Yeah, Wizards would be awesome. Mm. Um, I would love uh, that. Uh, oh, the Don Bluth films. Dumb, yeah. They're not being well taken care of. Like I, I, the, and, I've and never they all, seen. They're, they're all interesting and they all bond. Like yeah, well, I think no, only, only, really an Ameri- only an American Tale made money. Even the Secret yeah. of Nim wasn't a huge hit. Um, no, but I think it made its money back on like home video and stuff. Yeah. That was that was. It, but the Secret of Nim, the the early Don Blue stuff in particular, Secret of Nim and American Tale, The Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Hmm. Those four alone, that's a box set I would buy in a heartbeat. <laughs> the Don Bluth Criterion That's box, an amazing yeah. series of movies. They're not all equally good, but they're all equally amazing. And they're beautifully animated. Um, Damn, that'd be great. Uh, Don Bluth did Anastasia, which Disney mm. deliberately destroyed. Yeah. They released The Little Mermaid the same day that movie came out. They re-released The Little they Mermaid. They didn't the have Mermaid. to. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like we were already going to put it out. Mm. They were like, Don Bluth, and he hadn't had a hit in a while, but this was like a big studio film. It was being marketed like all the big Disney Renaissance yeah, it movies. Big, it was a big Fox movie. Yeah, it had yeah. Meg Ryan and John, John Cusack, Cusack in it. it. Yeah. Like, it was being marketed as a big deal. And Disney was just like, just to fuck with them, let's put Little Mermaid back in theaters. Well, no, it was even more insidious than that. Yeah. Uh, they they tried to shut down production. Oh, the wow. animation studio where they were working on Anastasia, yeah. Disney bought it and kicked them out mm-hmm. and tried to stop them from making it. And when they rented out new space, they own that space too. Yeah. And they said, you can work on this, but we have to come in and we have to see what you're doing. Oh, and they have to like spy on the production of Anastasia. Disney holds a grudge, dudes. Don oh, yeah. Bluth. Don Bluth used to work for Disney. He used to work. He worked for Disney for many years. He worked on uh, 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 Robin Hood and a bunch of other films. And he noticed that the animation department was 
kind of dying out and they weren't being respected and they weren't being allowed to do the great work. Mm. Uh, if you notice something in uh, that Robin Hood movie, fun movie, I like it a lot. A lot of recycled animation in it. Yeah, like they cut a lot of corners. That's it, it, just like... It's almost like a stoner movie. Like nothing's yeah. going on in that film. It's a very laid back film. I like it a lot, but it's yeah. very. It's in many respects, it's a lazy production. And Don Bluth had higher standards than that. And not only did he leave, he took people with him. Yeah. And yeah. they started their own animation studio. And in the eighties, their work was so much more impressive, even though they weren't as big a hit. Disney wasn't making a lot of money at their animated movies in the 80s either. Oh, no, there, there was talk of shutting down Disney animation in yeah, the 80s. Yeah, altogether. So badly, yeah. If it wasn't for, everyone says The Little Mermaid, if it wasn't for Oliver and company doing a little better than people thought it would, and, and, uh, the they wouldn't have bothered. Under, I think, as what well. What was that? The Res- Rescuers Down That was after. Was, oh, okay. It, it go, it was Oliver and company, The Little Mermaid, and then Rescuers Down Under was after that. Okay. Uh, Oliver and company was not a huge hit, but it was surprisingly successful. And that led them to keep going on mm. stuff like The Little Mermaid. So really, if it wasn't for Oliver and Company, we wouldn't have the Disney Renaissance. But for a while there, Don Bluth, even though the movies weren't his big hits, was making Disney look terrible. Because his movies were much more inventive, more excitingly animated. They had the they had a more mature tone. Yeah. And, and he had, yeah. a little bit later, he started doing those arcade games. Oh, uh, yeah, the Space Dra- Ace. Space and Ace and the... Dragon Lair. Oh, um, yeah. Dra- uh, Dragon's Lair. Dragon's Lair, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dragon's Lair, like the Lair of Dragons. Mm. And that, those movies were, sorry, those games were spectacularly ahead of their time. Because oh, yeah. that was one of the first instances in which uh, they tried to combine the language of cinema with the language of video games. And nowadays, all every, like, you know, video game that's based off of, you know, press X to follow, like, this path in order to keep, mm. kind of keep the movie going, he invented that shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, fucking uh, incredible. If you're going to play... Dra- well, first of all, you can't play Dragon's Lair anymore. Uh, you can. Not in arcade. They're well, not in arcade, yeah. but it's been ported over to almost everything. That's you true. can get it on um, your phone now, I think. Yeah, d- watch it on YouTube, just to- because it was a fully yeah. animated feature film. Mm, it's very pretty. Uh, so yeah, the Don Bluth stuff, for sure. Yeah. Um, I-, I don't know what the rights would be like to get a Yellow mm. Submarine. I would definitely oh, want to see Yellow Submarine yeah. on, yeah. on Well, they put the it Hard Day's Night. That's true. They put so on yeah, so it's not, it's, not, it's not outside the realm of possibility. But yeah, Yellow Submarine uh, would be a great pick. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and then you can start going into uh, Japanese animated films yes. like Grave of the Fireflies. But again, Ghibli is their own entity. They don't. No, Ghib- they don't need. Ghibli's Criterion. not going to give. But there's plenty of other uh, stuff. Uh, Belladonna of Sadness. Oh, there you go. Is, oh, a, yeah. is an absolute classic. That'd be super awesome. I'd love Maybe to s- see like a four disc Akira box set. Like, oh yeah, Akira and all the special Vampire Hunter yeah. D. I think would be really fucking cool. That mm. was like an early like. Uh, what if Mad Max but vampires? Oh, you know what? It's great. Uh, another animator I'm very, very fond of, and I think mm. doesn't get talked about a lot from around the same time that uh, 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 Don Bluth was rising up is Will Vinton. Oh, okay. Uh, Will Vinton uh, invented claymation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That claymation, by the way, is not just anything animated out of clay. Claymation is a trademark. It's a specific, uh, it's a, a specific thing. brand. Yeah. It's a studio, and uh, Will Vinton is the animator who invented that. If you saw. I guess he's probably best known for the California Raisins ad campaign in the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he had these really expressive uh, clay-sculpted caricature figures yeah. that he would animate. And they're gorgeous. Uh, and he's mostly known for like commercials and shorts. Mm. Uh, he did one film, The Adventures of Mark Twain, which uh, I'm incredibly fond of. I would love to see The Adventures of Mark Twain. Mm. Uh, the Adventures of Mark Twain, it's exactly what it sounds like. Yeah. Mark Twain is in it. Yeah, goes on adventures. Uh, well... The the conceit is he's built a blimp, and it's the year he's going to die. Yeah. And uh, 
if you know anything about Mark Twain, you know that he was born the year Halley's Comet uh, orbited the Earth, and he died the next time it came around. Which is like every 70-something years. Yeah, it's like yeah. every 75 years. So he lived that long. Yeah, and like, the conceit To the, the day. Weird. The conceit of the movie is the comet is coming. And he knows his and he time knows, is And up. he knows his time is up. So he gets in a blimp and he's going to go up and like physically merge with it. And Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, and Becky Thatcher are real people in this universe mm-hmm. who can interact with him. And they're trying and to get keep on the him blimp alive. with him. And they're trying to keep him alive. Ugh. And they have this magical elevator that can walk, but like put movie. him in uh, in his stories. It's a weird uh, fucking movie. Great tell, movie. Yeah, it's really really wonderful. Great movie. Um, really fucking weird though. Yeah, kind of scary in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I would love to see the works of Jan Swankmeyer. Didn't they do one? Didn't they do like, no? Not that I'm like, aware of. I don't think they Alice ever did. Or Faust or something. No, Alice is pretty available. Most people know Alice. I don't think it's his best work by any stretch, but it's his mm. most famous. He did this stop motion animated version of Alice in Wonderland where all of the animal creatures were like these horrible taxidermy, taxidermy things. Yeah, <laughs> it's really really cool. It's a good introduction to Swankmire, but it's not like the end all be all of Swankmire. Uh, he did a lot of work with stop motion animation with live action actors. Yeah, and so it had a very distinct aesthetic. You should see um, like Al- Alice is is an actress, yeah. and, and yeah. the Alice in Wonderland. So like, there's uh, live action elements of that too. He, the, the, a collection of his shorts would just be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great one he did. I think it's called Lunch, which is about a rich man and a poor man. They're at a restaurant, and everyone working at the restaurant is too busy to serve them, mm-hmm. so they start eating like their the forks table and the, the, and the table, yeah, and yeah. like yeah, it's great. Uh, but even like, but then and the, this movie isn't mostly animated. But I would love to see Conspirators of Pleasure. Have you seen Conspirators of Pleasure? Uh, it's, it's, it's been a while, but yeah, awesome. I, I saw it in my twenties. It's a movie about a variety of people who have very specific kinks and how they don't realize that all of their inner lives and all of their kinks are feeding into each other in ways they couldn't possibly predict. Hmm. Awesome movie. Not really an animated movie, but hmm. awesome movie. I'd have to make a like if I if we're choosing these and we get to yeah. like go to the Criterion office. Yeah. And this one's just like nostalgia for me. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I have much of a case, but I really want to see Mad Monster Party. Uh, I think it's oh, I think it's valid. Put, put on the Criterion collection no, just because I, I adore Mad Monster Party. I think that I think that various Rankin Bass films. Yeah. Are absolutely. I, I think Rankin Bass's version of The Hobbit oh, would that, be a perfectly I, good. I love Criterion that movie too. Release. Yeah. Um, and then I think you put also, and honestly, here's, here's, here's the collection you do, although I'm sure Ralph Bakshi would be unhappy with it. The Hobbit, Bakshi's Lord of the Rings, Rankin Bass's Return of the King. Oh, they're they're right. desi- they, they, Rankin, Ralph Bakshi put out an animated version of the Lord of the Rings, and unlike Peter Jackson, who filmed it all at once, he put out the first half. The first movie was one half of Lord of the Rings. Second movie would be the second half of Lord of the Rings. Thinking to himself, if this does well. I'll make mm. the second half. It didn't do that great. But it's actually a really good movie. It works on its own merits. And there's a few things, not a lot, but a few things I think it does even better than the Peter Jackson movies. Mm. Um, Doesn't John Hurt play the Viggo Mortensen role? Yeah, in the, yeah. he does. John Hurt and uh, Anthony Daniels, uh, the guy who plays C-3PO in Star Wars, he's the voice of Legolas. Uh, the, the, man, the elf. The elf character. The Orlando yeah. Bloom character. Um, so that's a very, very cool movie, and around that same time, Rankin-Bass did, it was a TV movie, an animated version of The Hobbit, in a, not entirely the same, but not entirely dissimilar style either. I grew up with that Hobbit, that so is I can't really... That is a great adaptation. No, that is an absolutely four-star, nailed it, mm. doesn't cut anything you'd miss, gets the whole story in there, understands the point of the book, reasonably, like, not reasonably, very well acted... Mm. Everything about that movie is great. Uh, uh, and then John, eventually... John Houston plays Gandalf in that version. Great casting! And then eventually, instead of like doing 
Fellowship and then Two Towers, which would have made sense, they basically just let Bakshi's film mm. unofficially be the next installment in chronologically. Yeah. And then they put out Return of the King, which basically is everything that happened after Bakshi's film. Yeah. And that's a very respectable film. It's it's feels really incomplete because it has <laughs> to, but it works. Mm. So I would love cr- to see that trilogy on Criterion. If, Criterion if, it's, if, it's animated, a bo- yeah. if it's a box set, even if even if Bakshi bulks, put his movies separately and just put the Rankin Bass movies together, boom, you got it. It yeah. all works. But yeah. yeah, there's a ton of great. An- we barely scratched the surface. Yeah. There's a ton of great animated movies that really should be on Criterion, and a lot of them, like I get it, Disney has been very protective for a long time. I think they're going to be less so now. There's a ton more art house animation and uh, animation that isn't as well moneyed uh, that should be in criteria. So I support it immediately. Um, I think I have time for a couple more letters. Right. Um, here's a letter from James. Hey, James. Uh, hello, James. Uh, Bibbs and Whitney. Mm-hmm. I write to you this fine week exhausted. Oh, no. Oh, well. Welcome to my world. Um, and and I must ask, have any movies been ruined for you by the radioactive discourse surrounding the movie? Hmm. Uh, for me, the strongest example recently is Paul Thomas Anderson's film Licorice Pizza. Ah. Uh, I couldn't bring myself to watch the movie, and I still haven't, ah. even though it just came to streaming, because social media has led me to the understanding that if I watch it and I like it, I'm an apologist for racism and pedophilia. But if I watch it and I don't like it, I am demanding that every film explicitly condemn any but objectionable actions by its characters. <sighs> but at the same time, I also do think it's valuable and important to dissect the content of a film and look at it through multiple different lenses. Mm-hmm. So I'm not coming at this film from the let people just watch movies without thinking about them camp. Yeah. Uh, this is on my mind recently because I'm worried about this with the film Don't Worry Darling, as of this recording, oh, yeah. I haven't seen that film yet. Um, I haven't either. I'm thinking of seeing it in a week. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'll come right out and say that I have no idea why there is any drama surrounding this movie, and I don't want to know, primarily because <laughs> I don't want it lumped in as someone who supports one side or another, simply because I bought a movie ticket. Yeah. But I can hardly open up Twitter without seeing some vague reference to the drama. Mm. Um I know some details I don't care. I'm not going to share them. Uh, I'll, I'll talk uh, about it a little bit, but I'm not, not going to go into the big... Because I... I think we've gotten way into the weeds with that shit. I'll I'll Um, finish the letter and I'll... Yeah, it it seems to me that the crux of this issue is social media users' tendency to make every issue with a movie a personal moral failing of those who enjoy it or don't enjoy it, Mm. with labels as fiction... Uh, the very real possibility that someone can enjoy a film while at the same time recognizing that it falls short in certain moral areas. Uh, So have you experienced these sorts of toxic discourses around a film that left you feeling uh, exhaustion and disinterest in watching a film itself? And how do you think audiences can engage with controversial movies in a less toxic way? Uh, thank you for your time as always and have a lovely evening, James. Uh, James, you, you bring up a good point and there's a thing called film Twitter. (laughs) And which people it's who, not an official it's not. organization of any kind it, but it's a general it's a label. N- nickname for conversations about film on yeah, Twitter. and, and in, in, indeed there are certain people and I think it's fair to say Whitney and I are at least tangentially part of it uh, who are they're critics they're very on Twitter they're available on Twitter people talk to them we talk to others and we comment on things that are happening uh, about film in the industry uh, as they go in addition to whatever we write podcasts whatever and um Twitter is like any other social circle. Eventually, there's drama, <laughs> uh, and and sure enough, there's never any shortage, and it's a variety of different kinds. In the case of something like Licorice Pizza, it's a movie that was initially very well praised, and then the initial wave of praise kind of got questioned by people who watched it and found it less worthy of praise because there are elements of the film Here, that well, are that are that are kind of fucked up. 
I th- yeah. And I think those elements were uh, not even necessarily from people who watched the film. They just knew certain details about it and well, I can't understood that. that as being completely objectionable. I, I will say this right now. Yeah. As someone who saw the film, mm. I think those there are two elements of that movie that torpedo the Enterprise. <laughs> I think they, they, they the film is built on a shitty foundation. I'm not a fan of the movie, but I made that decision after watching it. Mm. So I encourage you, if you're watching, like, oh, God, I'll just talk about Don't Worry Darling, whatever. I get it. I understand, like, you're kind of exhausted even thinking about the movie. But don't let that stop you from watching it and coming up with your own take. You're, yeah. you're, allowed, to, uh, you're allowed to like, critique, whatever, whatever you want. If you don't want to be part of the discourse, don't contribute to it. <laughs> and if you're tired of it, Go to Twitter has an option. You can mute words. Hmm. So you can mute the hashtag don't worry darling. You can mute Harry Styles. You can mute all this kind of stuff. And it's not perfect. Someone there'll some there'll always be some way that someone Something's writes about it that through, yeah. yeah, they don't mean to, but like they write about it in such a way that it misses your keywords. But you'll you'll have all of that out of your head. Because in the end, it doesn't really fucking matter for a lot of these situations. I think in the case of Licorice Pizza, I think a lot of the the cascading uh, passion about that conversation was some people trying to be heard amidst a din of praise uh-huh. and then other people being a little obtuse about that. Now, I granted, there's always some people who try to chime in without having seen the film. Yeah. But a lot of the people who were trying to start the conversation, they'd written articles about it, had. And I think they had a legit take. Okay. I'm one of them. I happen to agree with a lot of the problems of that movie. Uh but again, you should see the movie first and form your own opinion. Yeah. When it comes uh, to "Don't Worry, Darling," it's it's gossipy shit. Well, that yeah, that's just what the celebrities yeah. are doing. I haven't seen the movie. I can't comment yeah. on. I it. haven't seen the movie either. Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, darling. Don't yeah. care. Um, yeah. P- for, people uh, people had sex on the set. Some people didn't like it. There's whatever. This is not the first time that's happened. It's not the last time it happened. The whole thing about like Olivia <laughs> Wilde claiming that she fired Shia LaBeouf. Because of the accusations about no. him, and then Shia LaBeouf being classy, like like this, he came, he came up with some receipts, uh, yeah, like, on, like said that Olivia Wilde was lying like, about what she but said. But it's basically to him. like, hey, Shia LaBeouf, here's how you don't prove hmm. that, that you're a decent, that, that you're, here's you're how you, not an indecent guy. Yeah, here's how you don't prove that you don't have a problem with women. You try to take them down every chance mm. you get when they're just trying mm. to get through a fucking. You know, press tour, press right. tour, trying to be as as diplomatic as possible. So I, I, I everyone's just talking. It's a bunch um, of sexy people. That's like it's it's Florence Pugh, Olivia Wilde, Harry Styles, Chris Pine. There's drama. Allegedly, people are sleeping together. Allegedly, people are unhappy, and that excites the imagination of tabloid type yeah. interest. And and that's some, at some point, that's everybody. There's always someone who's interested in like, okay, I don't want to stay out of it, but I am curious about that anecdote. We all have that in us a little bit. This has blown wildly out of control. And, 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 al- just, and also, and also yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's At the end, the movie will be the movie. To the movie. The movie, um, and I will watch the movie. I'll give it a fair shake, but I'm tired of hearing about it too. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, watch the movie if you want to. Yeah. That's, uh, if, if you have an opinion about it, great. Yeah. Do you want to get on Twitter? No, Twitter is like a sewer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, to, if you to want quote, to, to go quote, ahead, uh, Tom but like, Lehrer, uh, yeah. it, 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 it's like a sewer. What you get out of it depends on what you put into it. Uh, and <laughs> it's a good line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, 
so, it's, yeah. it, all of that sort of like toxicity you see on social media can be ignored. Yeah. Just don't turn on Twitter. It's yeah. fine. Sometimes, uh, you sometimes need it. to be fair, sometimes salient points can be made and they can be like raised mm. in that environment and they can become a little more inescapable to the extent that all of a sudden people have to hear no, no. dissenting voices from whatever the norm is. And I think that's a great value. But yeah, it can become overwhelming mm. and it can just be a flood. And you're right. It can rob us of our passion for watching movies at all. I, I think so when that happens, take a break. I think what's really going on here, though, and mm. with a, a lot of uh, people who are what, what they say terminally online, they're just yeah. on the social media too much and they get a warped view of what reality is. I, I do that, too, uh, sometimes. I really no, yeah, do a better absolutely. job of um, staying off of Twitter more often. Yeah, uh, Remember that your Twitter feed is different from everybody else's and also uh, that it's not the real world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think what's going on here is a little bit of a broader problem we've had with uh, online film discussions. And it's that comprehension is way down. Yeah. Uh, This tendency to explain... You look at the way blockbusters are made. Everything's very literal in blockbusters. The messages have to be spoken out loud repeatedly. Yeah. Uh, Not even just once. Like, they just have to constantly... Everything has to be spoon-fed. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all... It all has to be very simple. And uh, when you're a film critic, you put a... You write a review, written Mm. word. You put it out there. And if if you're unlucky enough to have a website that allows a comment section... First of all, never read it. But uh, if if, uh, if you become foolhardy enough to try, (sighs) you'll find a litany of people who are uh, arguing points you didn't make. Yeah. Or... uh, Asking why you didn't clarify something when it's actually incredibly clear in your article. Yeah. It makes you start to wonder if you're a bad writer because you didn't clarify something when really it's a comprehension problem. Yeah, a lot of people Uh, skim. A lot of people just look at a headline and make assumptions and argue that. Mm. It's really frustrating. Yeah. You go to all this trouble to try to articulate salient, mm. interesting points and be clear about your intentions and what your thoughts are. And then people just read what they want to yeah, read. Yeah. It's some, not everyone. A lot of people do, and you're wonderful, and mm. that's great. But there's enough it's that like, just yeah, make you, it really you, you did a bad job. I didn't even read to the end. Well, if you had, maybe you would have known my point. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think that's a big part of what's going on here. A lot of people are taking surface value stuff from a lot of blockbusters and assuming mm. that's, or, or just films in general, assuming that's what the film is about. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of arguments being made that are incredibly specious, mm-hmm. uh, are based on misinterpretations. Uh, mm. And when that kind of conversation starts to lead the social media that you're seeing, yeah. it becomes kind of an issue. And then you've got these armies of angry people who are angry about something that wasn't being said. Yeah. Uh, the whole conversation about whether or not depiction is the same as advocacy has had to come into the conversation recently because people don't know the difference anymore. Yeah. You, you can show bad things happening in a movie and assume that the filmmaker isn't advertising those things as positive. Yeah. Sometimes the point is that they're telling a negative story and that's okay. And sometimes uh, it's not as clear and sometimes they are being dicks, but yeah, it's, but it's a ma- you have to if, read if closely in order to It doesn't get. take a very sophisticated viewer to understand what the filmmaker is trying to do in a lot of these cases. That's very true. I'm just, uh, I'm just allowing that there are other oper- there are other possibilities yes, that happen. Yes, yeah. but I think the problem is yeah. a lot of people assume that if something is being shown in a movie, the filmmaker is all for it. Yeah. Uh, watch Licorice, Licorice Pizza and let us know if you think Paul Thomas Anderson advocates all of those things. Mm-hmm. It, what he's trying to do with some of those scenes. Is he just trying yeah. to make a funny scene? Oh, and it's also uh, worth noting that there are degrees. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a difference between advocating <clears throat> 
and not really seeing a problem with using something to entertain, mm. which other people who have very reasonable sense of taste might find distasteful mm. and have a reasonable point to bring up about. He clearly thought this was okay in this context. I'm arguing that even in this context, it's not funny and hurtful. Yeah. And we can have a complex conversation about that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something we should be able to have. We need to have more nuanced conversations about things yeah. in which we acknowledge that our point of view or our perspective is limited by our own experience and that we have a lot to learn from listening to other people whose experience and whose perspectives and whose knowledge of cinema may be as valid or more so. And they might be bringing something to the table that we are not. And we really should be listening to other critics instead of just defending our perspective constantly. Yeah, yeah. And that's um, something that frustrates me for a lot. Mm. People who are unwilling. Like, if someone comes up to me and says, I don't like it for these reasons, and I've thought about those reasons, and I disagree with that, I'll just say, I disagree with that. But if you bring up a point that, I ne that never occurred to me, uh -huh. and I'm like, oh, I have to think about that. Yeah. And sometimes I'll actually come around, I'm like, you know what? I did not look at the film from this perspective, and now I can't unsee this. Mm. And you've got a great point. This is a problem that I really didn't notice the first well, time. And the opposite can happen as well. Yeah. Someone can say, uh, like, I'll, I'll watch a film and feel kind of indifferent about it. Yeah. Someone will say, I found this thing to be, uh, like, either really great or really offensive about it. Yeah. And I'll think about their perspective and think, oh, wait a minute. No, actually, I have the opposite view of you. Yeah. I actually disagree with what you just said, but you helped me. Yeah. put into focus how I feel about this. Though. This is why, uh, this is the whole point of critical discourse is mm -hmm. that we're supposed to share our opinions. We're not supposed to dogpile on stuff. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to share our opinions, our different opinions, and that's supposed to help us view art from more angles than we possibly could otherwise and grow as people and have new ideas mm -hmm. and more empathy for different for different people. And, ah, mm -hmm. it's so wonderful when it works. As for uh, films where that I, I kind of am uh, mm -hmm. afraid of talking about because of like a fan base or or a, a group a group of people that have gathered around them, I, I don't think someone's talking about what afraid of talking about. Just like, have we? Is there any movie or show you've lost interest in? Uh, maybe not. I think I'd be. Like, I, we'll talk about it. that's our job. We, yeah. we we don't get to shy away, but like there are a lot of movies that I actually very much enjoy, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't bring them up too often just because of the kinds of uh, fans that they have. Yeah, they're just uh, yeah. I, I like the Big Lebowski. Yeah, uh, I, I don't want to put that on on social media too much because <laughs> you want to be known. As yeah, the I don't. I don't want to be as, as a one of the Lebowski. I like a Clockwork yeah. Orange, but yeah. I'm not a dickhead. I like Fight Club, but I'm not a dickhead. Uh, I had an interesting moment with this where I I I, I, it, I had an issue with the way the series Kenobi ended. Okay, I thought they really whiffed. I, I mostly liked it, but I thought they really really whiffed something at the end, and it bugged me. And when it just came out, it was really spoiler, and I didn't want to ruin it. But it's been out for months. And someone was talking about it in like a thread that had been getting around and getting a lot of clicks. So I said, okay, clearly it's okay to talk about this. So I wrote a short thread in which I explain, I think this doesn't work. And it really annoyed me for these like three reasons. And I got a lot of responses from Star Wars people, mm -hmm. uh, from a particular brand of people who are critical of Star Wars. Uh, who were just like, yeah, it's like when Ryan Johnson fucked up. And I'm like, you are not amongst friends here. I actually think The Last Jedi is great. <laughs> like, you assume that because I was critical of a Star Wars thing, that I'm critical of all the same Star Wars things as you. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case. We are not a monolith. We are not mm. a monolith. Well, and another problem is um, you come down on something that's like that's Star Wars related. Yeah. 
And there is this weird camp of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess it's all centered around The Last Jedi now. Yeah. Uh, but that uh, assume that you hate it for the same reasons they do. Exactly. And the reasons they hate it is because they're racist assholes. A lot of it's because of racism. So I, it, it's kind of dangerous to go on and criticize. Or, and sexism. Don't forget sexism. Oh, excuse me. Sexism as well. Yes. <laughs> Good old-fashioned American sexism. Can't forget yeah. that. Uh, and uh, it's global. Uh, yes. It's not just That's American. True. It is. It is. It's very true. The issue being... Uh, Americans are very you, good at it, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We spent years practicing. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the issue is you start to uh, try make attempts to have intelligent conversations yeah. about a big popular thing. Some people don't want to. And people don't want to. They, they just want to make sure you're in their tribe. You're yeah. on their side. Yeah. And I can criticize The Last Jedi... But in so doing, I would attract a bad crowd. Yeah, people who um, hate it for reasons that because there are things to criticize in the Last Jedi. I get it. There are things that it's doesn't too do great. fucking long. That's I'm my biggest fear. I'm not going to fight you on that. Uh, it's, I, it's I happen quite to, long. It is. I happen to love the movie. It's one of the only yeah. Star Wars films I just really like yeah. a lot. That but just doesn't um, mean it's above criticism. But yeah, Nothing it's is. it's also way too long. It's paced yeah. weirdly. I think uh, yeah. they they give short shrift to some of the characters. I don't like elements about yeah. the ending. There's things I don't like about the movie. It's yeah. kind, it's kind of a big sprawling mess. Yeah. It needs to be sliced into two movies yeah uh, to answer the yeah. question from for me though like is there anything i've kind of lost interest again if there's something i have to see i'm going to see it anyway uh like movies in particular mm-hmm. but tv i generally don't have to unless we're doing it for cancel too soon uh so i might be kind of interested in something and then i'm so sick and tired of hearing about game of thrones i really don't want to watch house of the dragon <laughs> maybe it's some people i know some people say it's good some mm-hmm. people who say it's shit you know what i'm tired of talking about game of thrones I don't really feel like getting into it right now. And honestly, all like the shitty, awful, racist and sexist discourse around the new Lord of the Rings series mm. almost kept me from watching the pilot. And I was interested. Well, here, but it kept me from the... watching the first episode for like over a week. Uh-huh. And then I, cause I just I just don't want to wait into it. And then I finally watched it. And you know mm. what? Eh. <laughs> I definitely Here's, don't have uh... an issue with the casting. The casting is fine. I just find the story isn't grabbing me right now. I don't know. I, I feel like... If you find an opinion that clearly originated in the, the cesspool of something like 4chan, yeah. ignore it. Yeah. It's not well, a vital voice. It's not important what they're saying because yeah. they're saying racist shit. And well, it's just, it's an aberration. And I think it needs to be pushed aside and not be so heavily addressed I, because well, it's not really an issue. Here's, it's he, an issue for racist fucks. Well, and I don't think we need that. to address their point of view in this conversation it's okay to push them aside i agree to a point however i also believe uh-huh. that if you do not acknowledge that something bad is festering even if it's off in a corner mm. it tends to grow yeah but in because, but we've we've addressed it so much I understand, we're helping it grow i understand that and I, I agree you can go too far in the other direction mm. and i think there are bad ways to do it however Here, here's here's one thing we can do to combat this mm-hmm. kill the user rating uh don't have an audience score on websites like rotten tomatoes mm-hmm. don't have user ratings on like imdb Letterboxd is fine because that's everyone's like little journal though. I think that should be That's okay. that's a personal journal. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Uh you know, Twitter, people that's just people speaking yeah. openly. Uh user because so many people put so much stock in that, they're going in and they're stuffing the ballot box anyway. It's yeah. the the flash entering the speed force well, phenomenon. Well, there's no uh there's no guarantee that they've actually seen it. 
there, is the problem. Yeah, there's, 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 you can vote without seeing it. If a well, critic also, is, is reviewing it, they're under obligation to have seen it at least. Yeah. Uh, also, the kinds of people who vote in online polls are the kinds of people who vote on online polls. Yeah. That's not everybody. That's not yeah. a broad consensus of any kind. It's no, no, a completely it's a pretty small me- fraction of the audience. And it's a yeah. meaningless number that a lot of people have put meaning on, and they're getting into all of these horrible, angry uh, online beefs about an audience sc- on single number on a Rotten Tomatoes yeah. page. Get rid of the number. Yeah. Just don't have it. And a lot of that will go away. Yeah. Because it will be un- insignificant. I Honestly, I, I, would, I would kind of be okay with removing percentages on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm. It's either... Red or splat. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Red or splat. Mm. Boom. Done. You have the quotes from all the reviews. You can scan it if you want. That percentage, A, it's misleading because people think that's like how good it if, is. It's 97% it's, good. No, it just means 97 out of 100 critics gave it a pass. Yeah. That could be a two and a half stars. Mm. I could. Everyone could have given it a two and a half stars and it looks really, really great. But it's misleading to the casual observer, which is who you really need to think about in a case like this. Mm. Because those are the people who will take it the wrong way, and create misinformation around it, or at least misunderstandings. So I would be fine with that, too. I also think that making it a binary was a mistake from the beginning, although I don't know how you fix it now. Mm. I think it always should have been good, bad, or like, it should be like fresh, rotten, and then the middle squishy. <laughs> Just a slightly squishy tomato. Like, Super ripe tomato. Like you, like, you could, like you could use it in a sauce, but you shouldn't use it in a caprese. Ew. What? <laughs> I don't want to think of, like, a, a, a tomato that's on the edge. Well, you can still cook with it. I suppose so. I guess, you, just, I you wouldn't no, do everything with it. No worse than a yeah. rotten tomato. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a banana with a few spots on it. It's still good. It's not, like, well, when, when gross yet. When they're flecked with brown and have a golden hue, bananas taste the best, you know, the best for you. Thank you for listening to We've Got Mail. <laughs> We're done here. We got off on a rant. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody for writing in. We're sorry if we didn't get to your letter. Uh, feel free to email us again. If there's ever anything timely, you can always give us a nudge on social media. We're on social media at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. If you want to write into We've Got Mail, very easy to do. You can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Or if you want to hear uh, your letter read at the top of the hour, you want to hear the paper crinkle. You can always send us an actual physical letter. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send it to the critically acclaimed network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. I want to remind everybody that uh, the Salt Cat Soap Store is back in a new form. It is a Patreon-based Soap of the Month club. You can go to patreon.com slash saltcatsoap, all one word, and you can sign up to receive one soap a month or two soaps a month. And, uh, yeah, coming up in October, we're going back to our Glowing Ghost Soaps, which are very cool. And we ran a poll for all of our uh, current subscribers over there, and they wanted the Ghost Soaps to come back. So those are coming back. If you liked them last year, this is the way to get them. you got to sign up before October 1st in order to be part of that mailing. So uh, thank you, everybody, who already has signed up for it. And if you're interested, there you go. You know how now. Uh, and uh, I guess that's pretty much it that's it yeah oh and we're on patreon too we're at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network we have a lot of exclusive shows over there and you can listen to this show and all our other shows ad free so good stuff <laughs> thank you everybody once again uh sincerely yours bibs and whitney 